0: Welcome to this week's energy show. Now, this week, we're talking about fuel cells. Now, if- A fuel cell is an electrochemical cell that converts the chemical energy from a fuel into electricity through a reaction of hydrogen or another hydrocarbon fuel, like gasoline or like natural gas, with oxygen. Now, hydrogen-only fuel cells are really clean. They're very benign in terms of emissions. Basically, when you combine hydrogen with atmospheric oxygen, you just get water. The water vapor comes out perfectly clean, almost no emissions. But fuel cells that use hydrocarbon fuels, such as natural gas gas will emit CO2. It's a hydrocarbon. There's carbon in the fuel. That carbon turns into CO2. You can't kind of put it in the water. So those fuel cells emit CO2 and water. Pretty clean still. All right. Now, fuel cells are different than batteries because a battery has the energy coming from a chemical reaction that's already present in the battery, whereas a fuel cell requires a continuous source of fuel and oxygen to sustain the chemical reaction. Now, the, the good thing about fuel cells is they can continually produce electricity for as long as fuel and oxygen are supplied. So, you know, natural gas fuel cell—you got natural gas coming in; it sucks in air for the for the reaction, and you can kind of keep producing power as long as you have that natural gas. Now, history of fuel cells goes back like it's almost hundred years. It's the first commercial use of fuel cells came from NASA basically because NASA was saying, hey, you know, we need energy up in the sky, up in our satellites, up in our space stations, where are we going to get that energy? Now, they had solar cells and solar power, but that's that's kind of limited, and, and you need a burst of energy, and you may be on the wrong side of the sun, You know, shattered, but shattered by the Earth or the Moon. What are you going to do? So, they came up with a really elegant idea to use these fuel cells, this old technology. And basically, what they're doing in these space fuel cells is they have tanks of hydrogen, compressed hydrogen, and they have tanks of oxygen, and they obviously need oxygen to breathe, and they combine the two to generate power. It's kind of interesting. If you think about the closed loop, then you just have water to drink coming off. And then if you have enough sunlight from solar panels instead of batteries, back then they didn't have the good rechargeable batteries. But you can then turn that water with energy back into hydrogen and oxygen and repeat the cycle as long as you got energy. It's kind of elegant. The efficiency wasn't that great. It was kind of clunky. But anyway, so right now, fuel cells are used primarily for backup power for commercial, industrial, and you know residential buildings. You're kind of talking about it. It's not really taking off. And in remote inaccessible areas. Obviously, any kind of remote and accessible area, you're going to need fuel to get to that area, so they do need to be refueled. Now, they're also being used to power vehicles. California's got a really good program where they've got a fuel hydrogen infrastructure, and they've got hydrogen filling stations for these vehicles cars, automobiles, cars, buses, and and other vehicles to kind of charge up, and you can have this fuel cell-powered vehicle. Kind of cool. We'll talk about that in more in a minute. All right, so let's take a quick look at the underlying technology in fuel cells. They're kind of like batteries. A fuel cell has an anode, a cathode, and an electrolyte. And this electrolyte allows positively charged hydrogen ions, or basically it's just a proton. You strip the electron off the hydrogen molecule and you get a proton. And these ions move between the two sides of the fuel cell. At The anode, there's a catalyst. This is kind of a chemical reaction that changes the fuel, usually hydrogen, into a positively charged ion that's the proton basically, and a negatively charged electron. And so this electrolyte is designed specifically so that the ions can pass through it, but the electrons cannot. So the free electrons are kind of kicked off. Where do they go? They go around a wire and create an electric current. And that electric current is what's used to, to do work. And you stack these things up, you get plenty of voltage and current. The ions go through the electrolyte to the cathode. And at the cathode, the ions are reunited, recombined with electrode. The electrons, they come back with less energy. And the two react with a third chemical, usually oxygen, to create water or carbon dioxide. So it's kind of, it's like a battery, but it just has a continuous use of fuel and continually consumes oxygen, whereas a battery is kind of all self-contained. Now, a related technology is a flow battery. In a flow battery, the fuel is actually in the, the liquid electrolyte, and it can be regenerated by recharging. So the fuel is consumed in the electrolyte, the electrolyte loses its energy, and then you can kind of... Send current back into this electrolyte in a flow battery and store energy. So it's really a battery. Okay. Now, individual fuel cells are kind of small. They put a relatively small amount of voltage out—about 0.7 volts. It's eh, not really unlike a, the batteries that we're used to. You know, every battery, whether it's a double A, triple cell, C cell, they basically all put out about one and a half, 1.4 volts. Fuel cells put out 0.7. When you need more voltage, you stack these cells up. If you want like a thousand volts out of a fuel cell, yeah, maybe you'll have like. 1,300 batteries or so, 1,300 of these individually stacked cells, place them in series and you can get that voltage up there to meet whatever requirements you need. Now, in addition to electricity, which the fuel cells produce, they produce water, okay, they always produce heat. Any kind of chemical, any kind of reaction, always produces heat. You get energy and you get heat. It's entropy. And depending on the fuel source, if it, you might get some nitrogen dioxide. So if, if there's like, it, it sometimes combusts some of the nitrogen in the air. And if it's a hydrocarbon-based fuel cell, you'll get CO2, which is a greenhouse gas emission. Now, the, you got to remember, it's not just these cells. It's, it's a complete system. So you need a, an enclosure, and depending on how big the fuel cell is, you're going to need a big enclosure. You'll need controls to operate it, to monitor it. You'll need electrical equipment so you can step the voltage up or down to whatever the building is using. And, obviously, you need the fuel cell and the fuel. So, what's new with fuel cells? Why are we talking about this? This goes back to 1838. This technology is steadily improving. And what's really cool is Bloom Energy. It's a Silicon Valley company. They've been around for like a dozen years. They went public this year. Congratulations. They've got hundreds of installations of their large 200-kilowatt fuel cells at a lot of big companies, companies around, around California and really all over the country and eventually the world. Now, they originally called these fuel cells Bloom Boxes. And I think they kind of repositioned the company so that they're now called Bloom Energy Servers. Yeah, a server. It sounds computery. Well, no surprise, because they're selling these servers to many server farms. we got lots of server farms around the country, basically, to power all of our electronics. And that's what Bloom is doing. They've created these energy servers. And we'll talk more about exactly what they do. All right, so these conventional fuel cells use hydrogen. Uh, and we're coming back we'll come back to bloom in a minute but where does the hydrogen come from hydrogen comes from natural gas so you pump natural gas out of the ground you combine it with high pressure steam in a process called reforming and then you get pure hydrogen coming out plus carbon dioxide Anytime you have a hydrogen fuel cell, although the hydrogen may combust very cleanly, you have to remember that basically the hydrogen is coming from natural gas and you've got CO2 emissions. So it really doesn't help in terms of emissions or efficiency. It's actually hurting compared to solar and and, and batteries. Now, Bloom's fuel cell doesn't use a liquid electrolyte. It uses a solid oxide electrolyte. It's different than these conventional membrane fuels. The membranes keep the, the electrolyte apart, but basically it functions the same way. And Bloom says they can use a variety of fuels. Primarily natural gas from the utility. Right? Almost every building's got natural gas. There's a pipe comes in from the utility. There's a meter. You got as much gas as you want. And so in the Bloom Energy server, that fuel cell oxidizes the natural gas. You get electricity coming out. And you get water and you get carbon dioxide. Now the natural gas from the utility. You have to remember that's from conventional drilling or fracking. I remember years ago when Bloom came out, they said they were getting their natural gas from biological sources basically captured cow emissions. Now, if you're using captured cow emissions, you can kind of capture that. I hate to imagine the kind of process that's used for that. But if you are using this natural biogas, then the bloom cell is really something that's renewable. You're not actually emitting extra carbon dioxide in the air. But as long as you're using natural gas, which is a fossil fuel, when the bloom energy Server is operating, it's polluting with carbon dioxide. Now, the other thing is from an overall thermodynamics standpoint, by taking this natural gas and and running it through a fuel cell, it doesn't end up being a heck of a lot more efficient than a regular natural gas engine. It almost makes more sense to just burn the natural gas in a gas engine, which is kind of conventional and cheap. And there's other advantages rather than using a fuel cell, or even worse, reforming natural gas into hydrogen carbon dioxide. So I kind of like the Bloom approach where they're using the carbon dioxide, um, the um, natural gas directly instead of using a hydrogen fuel cell, which has this extra step. But you think about the thermodynamics. is just so important to all this, and I just don't think a lot of investors took thermodynamics in college. I'm I'm just saying. But anyway, there's lots of potential for these fuel cells, and we're going to talk about that more in a minute. Okay, we're talking about fuel cells, and there's some big advantages to fuel cells for certain applications. And this is where the Bloom is actually on the rose at Bloom Energy. Bloom pivoted from making fuel cells using renewable biogas, which was kind of cool, but not particularly available everywhere, to using their Bloom Energy server power by natural gas. Now, in natural gas, you know everybody's got it. So basically, what the Bloom Energy server is, is essentially a natural gas-based generating system that uses a fuel fuel cell instead of a combustion engine or a turbine engine. You can get these things from capstone. So different ways of doing it. But it's basically just a generator. Very cool. And it's got advantages because it's relatively quiet. It doesn't have a lot of moving parts, so it's pretty simple. But question is how does the Bloom server, the Bloom Energy Server, compare to a natural gas combustion engine? Well I kind of looked at some efficiency information. It's kind of hard to get this data. It's not really third party. But Bloom claims an efficiency of between sixty-five down to fifty-three percent when producing electricity. I was kind of looking at their spec sheet. And usually, people put the smaller number first and the bigger number second, but I think Bloom wanted to get that sixty-five percent number out there first. Now, then I looked at the efficiency of. A commercial 200 kilowatt, same size as the Bloom Energy Server, capstone turbine. And that's about 33% efficient when producing electricity. So the Bloom server, Energy Server is more efficient. Maybe that's because a lot of these engines, especially turbines and to a lesser degree um, piston engines, internal combustion engines, they kind of always have to run. And if you're running them at a low power level, they're not going to run really efficiently. Whereas if they're running at the optimal power level, they can be pretty efficient. And I think with a fuel cell... Once they're up to the right operating temperature, they can kind of ramp up and down more effectively. Now, what about these? Nat- what about a conventional natural gas piston engine? I mean, I have a gasoline generator. You can go. All of them right now are pretty much natural gas available. Those engines are about forty percent efficient when producing electricity, and that's without energy recovery. Now, when you start talking about some degree of energy recovery, combined cycle gas turbines, and these are the things that utilities are putting in, have multiple stages on their turbines. They're actually able to use some of the waste heat, they can have efficiency up to 60%, which is, I think, going to be on the average better than Bloom, but they want to operate it at a certain level. They can't ramp up and down. Also interesting, we you talk about the waste heat, I remember going back when Bloom initially positioned the product, they talked about Capturing the waste heat to increase the efficiency. You got some heat coming off. If you can use that heat, you can claim it as a benefit. The problem is that uh, it's often not worth the hassle. Like, what do you do with the heat? Most commercial buildings have plenty of excess heat and they have minimal hot water demands. The best thing you can do with heat is to use it to make hot water, but if you don't need a lot of hot water, it gets really expensive to use that heat. All right, let's take a look at another factor which is really important when you kind of look at some of these generators. Now, what about maintenance? Well, most gas and diesel generators require maintenance. They're not designed to be running 24 7 like a utility generating system. They're basically designed to come on for a few hours or maybe a day or two when there's an emergency and they shut off. And if you run them, for more than a one or two hundred hours, they're going to need service. I even remember my, my goofy little home generator that I've had, it's a ten horsepower, sixty-six hundred watt generator. I've had it for over twenty years. You know, if I run it for more than twenty hours, I got to put oil into it. You know, it requires some work. It's not this thing just isn't designed to run constantly. So you look at the advantage of a Bloom Energy server. It does have advantages. It's more efficient than an on-site natural gas piston engine. It's gonna require less maintenance than any kind of on-site engine theoretically, and you know these the Bloom Energy Service haven't been out there a lot. There's not a lot of data about their maintenance, but theoretically they're not gonna need that much maintenance. But the downside is they're not renewable because they're using a fossil fuel. They're more expensive than a natural gas generator. You know the other thing is they're much bigger than a natural gas generator. And you can kind of see some of these um, parameters when you look at the specs on the Bloom Energy Server. and taking a look at their spec sheet. It's a 200-kilowatt power output. I was thinking about that, 200 kilowatts. but When I drive my car, there's there's a tachometer. It's not really a tachometer. It tells, it tells me how much power I'm producing, not in horsepower or in kilowatts. So, 200 kilowatts is about the same as 268 horsepower. That's an average car these days. So, if you took the engine in an average car, put a generator on it, it's going to put out 200 kilowatts in you. Be pretty reliable too. All right. So, this Bloom Energy Server 200 kilowatt power output. This design that I looked at puts out 480 volts in three phase, which is a conventional commercial electrical service. It uses pressurized natural gas or biogas, if you can get it. And it has basically the same emissions as a, as a natural gas engine you got CO2 coming off and then water vapor. <laughs> the weight, 12.6 tons, multiplying that out, that's over 25,000 pounds. That's pretty big. And the size of this thing is about the size of a half a shipping container. So you look at, you know, Two of these things are going to be the size of a a large semi, so not really that small, and definitely not that light. Expected life, according to Bloom, about ten years. There will be maintenance required, and you're going to have to. And the maintenance—it's going to be all kinds of different maintenance. I expect, but the main maintenance is replacing the fuel cell stacks. These individual cells that put out 0.7 volts each—they may require maintenance, and there's not a lot of information about that. So there's going to be some work involved in kind of supporting these things. Now, what about the economics? That's kind of key when customers are buying these things. Server farms or Fortune 500 companies are buying these. They want to make sure the, the economics are there. Now, Bloom says that these things are cheaper than grid power. And I, I really can't figure out the economics because I don't have enough data. It's not clear what the upfront costs are. It's not clear what the incentives are. It's not clear what the maintenance costs are. You know, we know what the fuel costs are. But Bloom Energy seems to be doing fairly well. They were doing well enough to pull off an IPO. and They're selling to Fortune 500 companies, and and you know basically if those benefits are there and they're able to produce power cheaper than grid power over a long term, it, it makes sense. You know it also makes sense as kind of a, a very good way of providing backup power. So your primary power can also provide backup power. Obviously, all these buildings are also connected to the grid, so maybe they're operating in a mode where they're using the fuel cell, and the and if there's maintenance or problems with the fuel cell, they use the grid as a backup. The real question to me is how fuel cells compare to batteries combined with solar. Now as I mentioned, fuel cells are definitely not renewable and I, you know I haven't seen a lot of um, companies that are really doing great distributing and, and, and collecting biogas. So I'd consider that an impractical technology at this point. You know, so it's not really clear what the long-term costs are. We have a lot of data. About solar and batteries. And it is something that, that kind of makes some pretty good sense. It's easy to get a large solar power purchase agreement for about a nickel a kilowatt hour. Certainly, I see them for a lot less. You can add batteries onto these PPAs for less than two cents a kilowatt hour. I mean, really, I'm, I'm seeing utility scale acquisitions of three cents a kilowatt hour for the solar, half a cent a kilowatt hour for the batteries. So that kind of brings the price way down. And also, we've got a lot of documentation, uh, operating experience with solar solar and batteries. They're pretty reliable. But you can't get a lot of power at night. You're limited to what's in the battery, so you're still going to need the grid. But the other advantage is, and we're talking to our backup power customers all the time, when you have solar and battery backup system, you got power for an extended period of time. If there's a big disaster, I mean, I think back to the 89 earthquake, I think back to other situations that we have, fires, hurricanes. As long as the sun's up, those are gonna, the sun's going to charge the batteries every morning. So you're in pretty good shape. You basically have an indefinite source of power. All right, on the other hand, these natural gas generators, you know, anything like a, a fuel cell, they depend on that utility gas. And if there's an earthquake, if there's a fire, those gas lines are going to be shut down to prevent more leaks. So generators like Bloom Energy servers are also going to be down during a big disaster. Because if I were running a server farm, I would like to get layered, kind of what I call layered power and backup sources. I'd want to have my grid power supplemented with solar and storage. And I'd like to have a diesel or a natural gas generator for backup and power at night. And you know, depending on what the economics are with the Bloom Energy server, I'd like to get that, but I just don't have enough information about it. Now, in general, talking about fuel cells more specifically, they're becoming more popular. Toyota's selling their Mira hydrogen fuel cell car. You can fill up with hydrogen from special filling stations, and the good news is that the fill-up takes about as long as it takes to fill up gas. So it doesn't take hours as it does to recharge with a battery. But there's a big problem with fuel cell cars. The hydrogen's coming from natural gas. It's not renewable. It's more expensive to run on hydrogen than natural directly on natural gas. You might as well just burn natural gas directly. And also, you look at the what a fuel cell car is, and we've done a radio show on that. It's basically an electric vehicle. You got a battery, you got an electric motor, you got everything else. Plus, you got a fuel. Fuel cell and you got a tank, so it's more expensive than an EV. I'd say at the rate battery prices are declining, it might you might as well drive a pure battery EV or drive a gas or natural gas hybrid car. You get the same efficiency and emissions. So in conclusion, fuel cells are an emergent technology. They may have some applications, and Bloom Energy Server is certainly showing that Fortune 500 companies are interested. But they're not renewable. They're not cheap, and they're not efficient. I, I think they will get better and better. But you're still going to need manufacturing scale that's occurred with solar and batteries. Now, my friend Mr. T disagrees about fuel cells. No way, fool. So, um, I I kind of agree with Mr. T. Until we achieve that scale of manufacturing, EVs and batteries and solar are going to be superior to fuel cells, and they're going to be much better for the environment. All right, that's all the time we have on this week's Energy Show. Thanks to all of our listeners for tuning in. If you missed any of today's show, you can go to our website at cinnamon.energy and listen to the podcast.